Right, this morning we need to go to the Word of God quickly to Hebrews chapter 10. 10th chapter of Hebrews. Sunday school, anyone going to Sunday school, if you can uh, please leave now, that would be good. Not sure if we have any takers on today or not. We had in the first service. So Hebrews chapter 10. Going to be reading from verse 32 uh, unto the end. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Uh, particularly verse 35. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Or as the AV says, great recompense of reward. All the great sportsmen and women, all those who have risen to the top of their profession, will tell you this one thing, that the difference... What makes all the difference is confidence. Confidence. All the long hours of training and practice, all the diligence, the dedication, all the years of experience, all the winning they have accomplished, all of that can come to a grinding halt if they lose their confidence. In fact, most top sports people today, as well as their physios and their dietitians and their coaches and their trainers, Almost all of them has got a sports analyst on their team. Uh, kind of like a, a sports guru, if you will. Somebody who can deal with the, the mental side of things. You know, they have all the natural talent and ability. They have all the techniques. They have proven they can win again and again. But if their confidence goes, then that becomes a big, big problem. And we have seen it over the years of many sports stars where they begin to drop down the rankings almost out of sight. And it's not because they don't have the ability and talent. They've really proven they had that. It's just they have lost their confidence. It takes confidence to sink that winning putt at a major championship. It takes confidence to score that goal in the cup final when it's all hinging on you. It takes confidence to shoot that hoop. It takes confidence to make that jump that just may get you into a winning medal position. But if you lose your confidence, then all your progress, all your techniques, all your abilities stand still because you've lost your confidence. The Hebrew Christians had endured a lot of persecution since they had become Christians many years. In fact, it tells us here, but recall the former days which after you were eliminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, 
and partly because, while you became companions of those who were so treated. And so for years they had suffered a lot of persecution and they had lost their jobs and their businesses and their homes, many of them. And so times was really, really, really difficult. And in fact, they said, but you handled that. You endured all of that. You did very well. In fact, even the plundering of your goods, you took that okay because you said, well, okay, you know, we have all eternity and God's going to bless us in eternity and, and, and we'll have more than we ever, ever needed on earth. So he says, you looked at it well, you endured it, you've done well, but, but here's the problem. Now he's writing to them and saying, you're in danger. You're in danger of throwing away your confidence. In fact, that's what casting away means here. Throwing away your confidence. Deliberately, consciously, knowingly casting away your confidence. And in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, This is a story that you know so well of blind Bartimaeus that Jesus healed. So Mark 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Note verse 50. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And the same word is used, that's used in Hebrews, casting away your confidence, and throwing aside his garments, the same word. And Bartimaeus deliberately, consciously, knowingly threw that away. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to get to Jesus, and he didn't want anything to hamper him and impede that. Nothing was going to stop him. He was going to get to Jesus. So that coat, that cloak had to go, and he just cast it away, knowing what he was doing. And Paul is fearful for these, or whoever wrote Hebrews, Many believe it was Paul. We're not sure, but the writer, I should say, he's concerned that they're at the place where they're going to throw away their confidence. They're going to choose. And maybe, maybe for the same reason here as Bartimaeus. I mean, Bartimaeus thought, well, I need to get this breakthrough and, and this is going to hold me back if I don't throw this away. So I'm going to throw this away. And maybe they had got to the place where after all the struggles and after the years and after the losses they endured and all of that, maybe they thought, Do you know what? I'm tired of this. You know, I'm tired of being held back. I mean, my life has just come to a standstill. I, 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 need, to, I need to stop this. I need to throw this away. And, and the danger was they were going to go back to the old ways. The temple worship, they're going to go back to the old ways. And the danger sometimes with Christians today when they're going through struggles and difficulties and they're under pressure and under the load and under the cautious it were, the danger is that they say, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to go back to the old ways. Seem to have less trouble back there. That wasn't the case, but that's the way to think. And so the writer here is saying, do not cast away your confidence. 
Keep believing. Keep trusting. Believe the promises. Trust in the Lord. Do not cave in. Do not give up. Don't cast away your confidence. You will be richly rewarded. That's what he's saying. There's great recompense of reward. Look to the reward. You've got your eyes on what's happening, your losses and your troubles and the problems today. Look to the reward. He said, you did that before. Do that again. Don't let it all slip away. Don't cast it all away. Don't throw away your confidence. You know, in their confidence before, they had boldly shared their faith. They had boldly believed the promises. They had boldly spoken the word of God. And these were Jewish Christians. It wasn't easy for them. You know, some of them now had lost their families. They were disowned by their own people. And you have to understand, not only were the Jews against them, but the Romans were against them. You know, for a long, long time, the Romans, the Jewish Judaism, they just treated it as another religion. But when it came to Christianity, until Constantine came, it wasn't just another religion, it was treated like a cult. So they're being persecuted by the Romans, persecuted by their own people. I mean, it was tough. It was tough to be a Jewish Christian in those days. And this is what the writer is saying. Tough as it is, do not throw away your confidence. Keep on believing. Keep on declaring the truth. Keep on declaring the word of God. Declare the promises. Don't ever stop that. And not only that, they're going to have to walk by faith, not by sight. You see, they have been brought up walking by sight more than faith because they had the temple, they had the priests, they had the sacrifices, they had the rituals. They had all that they could do, physically see it and touch it and do it. But now they come to Christ, they had none of that. They weren't welcome in the temple, they weren't welcome in the synagogue, they couldn't make any, they didn't need to make sacrifices, all that was gone. All they had was the naked word of God. You know, they didn't have a high priest Jesus was their high priest, but he was in heaven. They couldn't see him. They'd never seen Jesus. This generation had never seen the Lord. So they were literally walking by faith, not by sight. That's okay when things are going well, but when things are not going well, when you're really under the cosh, when things are tough and you can't see any answers and you can't feel anything, that's when you've got to walk by faith, not by sight. And that's the danger when you get to that place that you cast away your confidence. So the writer says, do not cast away your confidence. Verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The, the authorized version says, let us hold fast the confession of our faith for he who has promised is faithful. So whether it's confession of our hope or profession of our faith, it basically all means the same thing. Anyway, don't cast it away. This is important. Now confession or profession is homologia. And homos here means the same. The same. This is why we get homosexual. Same-sex attraction. The same. So logos means words or words. So it's the same words. The same word. You know, keep professing the same word. Don't cast it away. That doesn't mean just repeating it over and over. I mean, you could train a parrot to repeat anything over and over. But it means believing in it, believing in the promises, you know, uh, uh, trusting in them, assenting to them, being in accord with them, agreeing with them. And once you do that, then you speak it with your mouth. But it's not just vaguely re repeating stuff, but it's truly believing it. 
and in speaking it. Don't lose that profession of your faith. Come into accord with it, come in an agreement with it, and speak it out. That's what he's saying here. Don't throw away your confidence, which is great recompense of reward. Now, as you read through scriptures, you'll find people who were on the verge of doing that. Good people, godly people, men of God, but they're on the verge of casting away their confidence. Come with me, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1, reading from verse 19, speaking of John the Baptist. Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Well, who are you, that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, and he quotes from Isaiah, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent there were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize you with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, and I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Now, would you not agree that here's a man who's filled with confidence? He truly believes what he's preaching. He truly believes what he's doing is what God wants him to do. He truly believes he's what Isaiah prophesied, the one that would come that would make way for the Lord. No question about that. He had no doubt about that whatsoever. Not a doubt on his mind about that whatsoever. And here he is boldly declaring that. In Luke chapter 3, verse 2, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region round about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make us pass straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. And crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough way smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, 
Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the day? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, he, I mean, he's really bold, isn't he? I mean, here's a man full of confidence, bold enough to say, you bunch of snakes. <laughs> and he's, of course, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees here, not just the ordinary people. You bunch of snakes, he says. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why are you coming being baptized by me? I mean, he's really given off, isn't he? He's full of confidence. Huh. Look at verse 15. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But note this. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now here's a man who's went from the height of confidence, not only in his ministry, but in Christ as Messiah, to now he's not only doubting his own ministry, not only has he lost confidence in that, but he's even doubting the Messiah. He's doubting Christ. Are you he that should come? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really? See how low he fell here in his confidence? But I like how Jesus answered this. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. All the, all the identification marks of the Messiah was right there, even raising the very dead. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Hmm. And they departed. And Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John, until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come, he has ears to hear, let him hear. 
You know, you've always been looking for Elijah to come back again. Well, even though he wasn't literally Elijah, well, here he is. He's coming the same way as Elijah came. But to what shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions. And so what an accolade Jesus gave John, the greatest prophet who ever lived. You know, and I can imagine when the report went back to John in prison, who was about to die for what he believed. His confidence was so low, he's even doubting Jesus. I imagine when the report went back, I imagine his confidence rose again. I was right all along. And he is the Messiah. He surely is. Look what he's done. He is the Messiah. And my ministry was right. And before he would go to his death, he would have that assurance that he'd heard from heaven that he was man's God for that hour. And Jesus was the Messiah. See, many a man and woman of God have lost their confidence. Peter, Jesus taught me his disciples. He says, who do men say that I am? He says, well, some say you're Isaiah, some Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? And before anybody could speak, Peter being Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It just come out of him. And Jesus said, you're absolutely right. But you just didn't get that. I'm paraphrasing. You just didn't get that off the top of your head. My father in heaven put that in your heart to say that. Now, can you imagine how Peter must have felt at that moment? That almighty God has spoken to him. And he was bold enough to say it. And Jesus agreed with it and said, you're absolutely right. My father in heaven gave you that and you spoke that. You're right, Peter. Can you imagine the confidence he must have felt at that moment? How would you feel? But then remember later the third denial around the fire when Jesus was being tried. Weren't you one of them? Didn't I see you with him? I know not the man. I know not. The, I've never seen the man before. I know not the man. His confidence is gone. He's shattered. He's fearful. Everything he believed in is gone. He thought that was the Messiah. He's being tried as a common criminal. I know not the man. What a difference between those statements. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I know not the man. And aren't you glad that Jesus didn't leave it there? Amen. That morning when they come back from that fruitless fishing expedition and Jesus made that little barbecue of fish and took him aside three times, Peter, do you love me? And fully restored him, completely and utterly restored him back again. Give him his confidence back again. And on the day of Pentecost, six weeks later, he stood up and preached a sermon and thousands and thousands and thousands of people gave their life to Christ. Full of confidence. Not in himself, because that was Peter's problem. He was too confident in himself. But he's confident in Christ now. He's confident in the message he's got. He's confident in the word of God. What a difference that makes. Jeremiah chapter 20. Judah, the nation, is facing a very, very difficult time. I mean, they have backslidden so bad, God has pleaded with them. They sent Jeremiah the prophet to preach and to prophesy and to testify, and they despise him. It doesn't matter what he says, they hate it. 
and they refuse it and reject it and reject him and they're rejecting God. And I mean, how would you like to be a preacher and, and everything you preached, people just hated it. Everywhere you went, people didn't want to hear you. They despised you and would have killed you. They put this man in prison. They put him in a pit in the ground. They stoned him. They did everything. Now, to be fair, it wasn't a very positive message. And some people doesn't like it if you don't preach a positive message. And his wasn't positive. He was saying, listen, God has warned you and warned you and warned you. You won't listen. You refuse his warnings. So the Chaldeans, the Babylonians are coming. And what God is saying now through me is surrender to them. Surrender to them. Boy, they didn't want to hear that. Surrender to the God. Yes, surrender to them. It'll go better for you if you surrender. They didn't want to hear that. And they fought against him, such animosity. And he got to the stage, he says, Lord, I'm done, it's enough. And many a man and many a woman can get to that stage. They think, Lord, I've had enough of this. Why do I, I, I don't need to hassle this. And listen to his complaint to God in Jeremiah 20, verse 7. Oh, Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. I didn't ask to be a prophet. You induced me. You persuaded me to be a prophet. I didn't ask for this. You're stronger than I and have prevailed. Oh, I just had to give in because you're God and I'm just Jeremiah and I had to do this. But he says, I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. And when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. God, that's it. I'm done with it. I'm through with it. I can't take any more. I'm finished. <sighs> but listen. But his word in my heart was like a burning fire. It was shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. He went to his bed at night and he couldn't sleep. You know, he said, Lord, I'm finished. I'm done. It's over. I'm not done to do that. And no more prophesying. No more preaching. I'm finished. Then he went to his bed at night and he couldn't sleep because it was like a fire in his bones. And he'd walk the floor and say, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't want to do this, but I can't not do it. And he says, I, I, I just had to do it. I just had to, I had to release that. Huh. But you see the stage he had got to? I told this story to the church before, but it bears repeating. An old friend of mine, he's in the glory now. He was an evangelist for many years, traveled the world. And he told me, he says, David, one time in my life, he says, my health was broken, my marriage was broken, I was due to speak at an Easter convention. I was one of several speakers that weekend. And he says, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to preach my last sermon this weekend. When I preach this sermon, I'm finished. I'm closing my Bible. I'm done. Never preaching again. So he says, other preachers preached their message. It came my turn. I got up, walked towards the podium. And as I did, he says, a little woman right at the back, she walked slowly right up the middle aisle. All eyes were on her. She stopped. Let's never forget, she pointed her wee bony finger. Thus saith the Lord, don't you dare quit. <laughs> don't you dare quit. <sighs> he says, nobody, only God knew I was about to quit. Don't you dare quit. He says, I didn't quit. 
And he says, after that, I thought, no, I can't quit now because the Lord's rebuking me. Don't you dare quit. I have a work for you to do and I had a work for him to do. Do not cast away your confidence. Elijah stood in Mount Carmel at the peak of his ministry, calling fire down from heaven. All the other miracles he had done paled in significance in comparison to this. This was the greatest miracle ever. Fire down from heaven, burnt up the sacrifice, killed 400 prophets of Baal with the sword. The whole nation was watching. Couldn't get any better than this. His confidence was sky high. Trusting in God totally in front of the whole nation. And God vindicated that trust, his faith. But within hours, that very day, that very day, old Jezebel, the queen, threatened his life. And suddenly, all that confidence in God and himself, it just drained away. And he ran as fast as his feet could take him, all the way down to Beersheba, which is the furthest you can go in Israel. That's right down, right at the southern border, right out into the desert, sat under a juniper tree and says, Lord, it's enough. It's enough. Take away my life. I'm the only one in the whole country who stood for you. And look what's happened. Nothing's changed. The queen and the king hate me. They want to kill me. It's enough. I'm done. <laughs> But 7,000 hadn't bowed the knee to Baal that he didn't know about. But God in his mercy, the angel of the Lord came and sustained him and encouraged him and blessed him and said, you're not finished yet. You're going to anoint kings and you're going to anoint a prophet as your successor, which was Elisha, you see. And he went on the strength of that and anointed kings and anointed the prophet and went home to be with the Lord. His confidence returned. Amen. Hebrews 10.35 Therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great recompense of reward. There's something, there's something about your perseverance, your patience, your enduring, your keeping on, keeping on. There's something about that that God loves that God loves it. Whenever we're walking by faith, not by sight, and things is tough and things is difficult, and we can't see an answer, we can't see a way out, we even can't see a way forward, but we say, God, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on your word. I'm going to keep going on. God loves that. He loves that. And he rewards that. Great recompense of reward for that. So there is. So has the pace seemed slow? Does it look like the promise is not being realized? Does it look like your faith has been in vain? Does it seem like you're not going to get your reward? No. Do not cast away your confidence. Huh. Note this in verse 36. For you have need of endurance or patience or perseverance. It's all the same. Listen to this. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. See, there's where the battle comes. After you have done the will of God, and you still can't see results, and nothing looks right, 
and everything's against you and the circumstances are bad after you have done the will of God, that's, that's when you're tempted to cast aside your confidence. And that's what the writer said. Don't do that. After you have done the will of God, that's when the battle comes. That's when you face the battle. But he said, you may receive the promise. And then he quotes Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce that. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in them. Just shall live by faith. Why did he quote Habakkuk? Because you see, they were going through the same difficulties that Jeremiah was going through at that time. Judah, same country. And the Babylonians were coming for them. And if you read the first two chapters of Habakkuk, it's really wonderful because he's confused. He says, God, do you not see what's going on in our nation? Do you not see the sin that abounds? Do you not see the idolatry? Of course, God saw that. Do you not see that? Are you not going to do anything about that? And he was angry with God. And God says, yes, I am going to do something about it, but not what you think. <laughs> not what you think. In fact, I'm going to send the Chaldeans. I'm going to send them to chastise this nation. And then he, he, he flipped the other one. He says, God, but they're worse than we are. Surely you're not going to do that. I know we're bad, but I mean, these are wicked people. But you see, God had enough. All that's left was chastisement for them. But you see, the, the prophecy was the just shall live by faith. When things are looking bad, when things couldn't be any worse, when you can't see no way through, the just shall live by faith, cast not away your confidence. You know, Habakkuk ends up very positive. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet, 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 in spite of all of that, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I'm not going to cast away my confidence. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me to walk on my high hills. Glory to God, amen. We'll close with this. I like what Paul says. Philippians 1 and 6. Being confident of this very thing, he that began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. See, that's why you should never cast away your confidence because God has got confidence in you because he's going to keep you in the palm of his hand. He's got a plan for you and he's not going to give up on the plan for you. He's not going to cast you away. He's not being confident of this thing that God who begun a good work in me, Paul says, will complete it. He's not going to give up on me no matter what I feel. He's not going to give up on me. He's not going to give up on you today either. He's not going to give up on you who are watching. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Do not cast away your confidence in the Lord. Do not cast away your confidence in the ministry God has given you, even though it may be troubled at the moment. But don't cast it away. God's still working on your behalf. 
and he'll bring you through if you trust him and believe his word and believe his promises and keep holding on to him. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks today that we're held in the palm of your hand. And even though in our humanity and in our weaknesses and our thoughts and our minds, sometimes, Lord, we're all over the place. We don't know what's going on sometimes. But those are the moments we're going to fully trust you. Those are the moments we're going to walk by faith and not by sight. Not by what we see or feel or hear around us. Lord, we're living in times, Lord, of this pandemic, Lord, when it's scary for many people. And Lord, there's fear out there in the community and everywhere. And Lord, as believers, we've got to keep our eyes on you and on your word and trust you. And not live in fear. But live in faith. Trusting the Lord. Lord, bless us as we part today, as we go into our working week. Bless us, Lord, and help us to trust you and to be confident in you and confident in your promises, in your word that never fail. And we give you the honor and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 